Welcome to Disciple Life, the Bible in Everyday Life, a podcast that aims to provide listeners with insights on how to live life as a disciple of Christ. This show tackles various topics such as how to grow in faith, deepen relationships with God and others, and serve others in a Christ-like manner. Well, welcome back to another episode of Disciple Life, the Bible in Everyday Life. As always, right next to me, I have Brother Dan Newberg, the pastor of First Baptist Church Divine, a.k.a. Iron Dan. And then we have on the <laughs> far side... Way too much credit. And then on the, on the other side... You could say on the far side of cool, we have Sydney. The Warren. opposite of cool is that what you just said? The far side. <laughs> the opposite. Do like, you even know what cool you're means? You're so you're so cool. You know, steam was like was cool. I don't know. I am cool. always I cold. <laughs> it makes sense. You're just so cool. Anyway, anyway, I know I killed it. Anyway, so today we're continuing a a first series of its own on the podcast where we actually talk about the resurrection last Sunday uh, not the 16th but on the 9th we had the wonderful opportunity to celebrate the liturgical calendars uh, day for Lord's resurrection Jesus's resurrection from the dead and so we talked about why the resurrection is important to the Christian and so you left us with a cliffhanger what does the resurrection mean um, for 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 Jesus as the Son of God, but how does that have an implication with us? So yeah, but that that cliffhanger that you just dropped was like the next episode. Oh, then never mind. I'll, I'll yeah. come back to this one. So, so let's let's go to the cliffhanger that I think we set out or set expectations for today. Oh, there you go. Um, so what does it mean? So last time we talked about the resurrection of Jesus, the the confidence that we can have around that, right? I'm remembering this correctly. Correct. Um, I am a year older since the last episode, so maybe my memory wasn't correct, so I just needed to, to check on that. Um, Congratulations. Your math, Happy belated birthday. Your um, math is incorrect. Ooh, no, no. Your number went no. up, but... <laughs> I am, yeah, technically a year older. Um, anyway, so, and so today, then we're going to talk about what does it mean for Jesus to have been resurrected. Okay. Um, so what does it mean? <laughs> no, that, that's... like the old song says, "He arose, he arose." Like, what does it mean? Period, or what does it mean for us? For us is is the next one. What does it mean for Jesus to have been resurrected? Oh, what does it mean? Hmm. I think that's a, that's that's a, a pertinent question that lots of people have. But what does it mean? What do y'all think? You go last. <laughs> oh my! Okay, <laughs> I wish. Okay, never mind. Um, I have a feeling I'm being set up for something. Continue. <laughs> There's nothing that's been planned in this, at least. I know, I know. Although the resurrection of Jesus, different story. Anyway. Um, what does it, it mean? Um, simply, when I... Gosh. Um, it means everything. It means life. Um, it means that sinners um, can have the opportunity... opportunity um, to live um, undeservingly and receive grace and holiness um, and be brought into this covenant and being in heaven with Jesus for eternity. It means absolutely everything for us and for God to send his son. It's kind of like, how do I say this? Um, in uh, Ephesians 5, the love in which God love, loves us is marital in nature. 
And if anyone um, had the opportunity to choose who their bride was going to be, if anyone could have, it could it should have been it is Jesus, right? Didn't you? And, oh, okay. What? Nothing. Go ahead. Oh, I'm <laughs> doing good. Okay, it, it's Jesus, and. So, like, for instance, I don't want to put, but if I'm looking for a husband or whatever, I'm looking for someone that meets at least half of the qualities of what I want. I recognize everyone's not perfect, but Jesus should have been the one that could have picked, like, the perfect, but no, he, he kind of went across the street, and he chose the per- person that was broken and full of shame and guilt and has baggage and is messy and is stanky, and he, because of Jesus' death, we are brought into this relationship which is cleansing of those things and we are set apart and our old self has died so I mean for me um, I guess I kind of spoke into what we're speaking about next week but (laughs) um, I think the death of the son of God means everything for us because we are not deserving of it it's almost like you've been reading the book of Hosea Um, no but (laughs) that's really good that's really good. I almost want to say, like, that's a wrap. That's a wrap. No, Let's go. Keep we, going. We can't. No. We can. No. What do you think? Repeat the question so I can get the right answer. What does it mean for Jesus to be resurrected? I think, well, quite quite frankly, uh, it means redemption. In the sense that through his death and resurrection, we are actually display that very intentional uh, willful love to which Sydney is referring to and it gives all of humanity much to her point this idea that while we are lost and without a cause for actual redeeming of our own God shows us that he is able and willing and opening an invitation to whosoever will to come in and receive this gift And yet, it is also this exclusive call of saying, you put everything aside because the one who has evidenced himself to be powerful, to command not only creation, but also the ultimate enemy of humanity, death, um, to stay its weapon, which is the grave, and for us to have this ability to enjoy God forever, this blessedness to be able to know God Uh, Like Jesus told uh, the disciples, if you have seen me, you have seen the Father, and you know him. Yeah, so I think it's it's important for us to to grasp onto a couple of of theological things out there. Um, The the first is that that God in the person of Jesus Christ died in body. Um, Mm -hmm. So sometimes we we think about or we raise the question, what does it mean for God to die? God has never ceased existing. Um, But the the body of Jesus Christ certainly died. Um, And we think about all of the faiths that are out there, the religions of the world, the ones that have come throughout history. There have been many... Uh, so-called gods that were gods of um, the moon, the sun, the waters, the mountains, the trees, the air, the butterflies, whatever. Um, or the universe. Or all the universe. Um, encompassing. Encompassing, thank you. Okay. Um, wrong infliction onto the wrong syllable. Got it. Yeah. Um, I'm, just, I'm just picking on you, dude. No, I know. Um, <laughs> um, but the, the idea here is 
that all of those gods, if you will, they're figments of our imagination. Uh, human imagination is what I mean when I say that. And what, what we find in the scriptures attesting to God in human form, the God in human form, is he's introduced to us as someone who is humble and meek. Um, yet someone who, as John introduces him, uh, as someone who will baptize in fire. Um, and someone who uh, commands all of those things that all of the, the so-called deities of the false religions uh, of the world, uh, that he actually reigns over. He walks on water. He calms storms. Um, he's able to, to heal the sick, to restore sight to the blind, to make the lame walk, the deaf hear. Um, and most perfectly and most ultimately, he evidences that he is God over all things by returning from the most, what we understood before that day, the most irreversible thing in existence. Right. Being death itself. So what does it mean for Jesus to have been resurrected? What it means is that is God's proof that Jesus is God, that he reigns over all, that there is not a single thing in the order of creation that God himself does not reign over even death. Um, there's not a single thing that God cannot reverse or renew or reconcile because Jesus is risen. Um, this almost makes me want to get into the next episode right now, um, but uh, it's just, just thinking about that. There's not a single thing that God cannot renew, not a single thing that he cannot reconcile, not a, not a single thing that he cannot restore because he's Lord over all. You can almost anticipate where the next episode would go um, in, in light of that. But that's, that's, what, that's what the resurrection means. It's, yes, not to minimize the cross of Jesus Christ and the, the effect that it has on uh, his sacrifice on that cross, on atoning for our sin, um, that by grace through faith that we might be saved from the wrath of God because of the work of Jesus Christ on that cross. Right. But you can't separate the cross from the empty tomb. So you have an atonement for sin that is completed by God himself who is able to and will reverse all of the fallenness of this world. Amen. Um, so there's... I don't know, even words fail to, to put into totality that work. Um, but um, that's, that's, what it, that's what it means for the Son of God to be raised from the dead. There's n nothing that's impossible with God. What are you looking up? Well, it's almost like you've been reading the book of Colo the letter to the Colossians, right? Well, I, ha I have been reading. I mean, you know, yeah, I've been kind of preaching. Uh, I know that's kind of what, that's that's where I'm going for that. And so I love the idea that Paul here talks about 
the excellencies of Christ in chapter 1 where it says uh, that he has rescued us from the domain of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of his beloved son in whom we have redemption and forgiveness of sins being the image of the invisible God the firstborn of all creation for by him all things were created both in heaven and on earth visible and invisible whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities all things have been created through him and then he goes on to say that it is through the grave that he becomes first things even uh, among the dead that he is the he is the the crown of all creation and the head of all things just think about the cross think about a burial tomb think about a, a, a grave we think of those as signs of defeat and finality right yet Jesus God in his infinitude yes that's a word by the way um, inverts or he flips um, he flips that script so to say that where the cross was a, an instrument of suffering and shame um, that that is where Jesus is glorified um, that's where he, he his glory is seen as he's hung between heaven and earth um, that a tomb that should be a, a final resting place as we so often offers a euphemism that that was just a, uh, a temporary holding uh, to fulfill scriptures until he rose. Right. Um, there, everything, everything is under his domain and sovereignty. Anyway, that's what it means. Um, I probably haven't done it justice. Um, but, but then we can get into the so what. So the so what. The so what's next time. We're going to have to wait until next week? Yeah, man. Dang it. I really have problems leaving in tension between now and later. But that's my own sin to confess. So we do have two questions for today. And Sydney can read those because, you know, she's, she's our lovely, wonderful lady who can read well. I'll start with the chicken scratch. She can read good. She cannot. Um. <laughs> she can read good. <laughs> Oh, okay. I'll start with the first question. How can one return? How can one returning or new to Christ transform themselves while discipling their children, without making it feel regulatory or creating a sharp shift in the home? Um, I think I can answer this one. Um, I mean, I don't have kids, but I can speak on it a little bit before y'all do. <laughs> okay. Um. So, first, when you're discipling um, your kids, I think a lot of the hearts of parents is I almost want to um, love my kids so much into grace um, and love them with the love of God so much into um, holiness, love them into this covenant, love them into heaven. Um, and a lot of it is like, what do I need to do? What do I need to do? What do I need to do? And you could set all of the structures that you have in your head. And structure is good. Um, but it's kind of like, it's kind of like my body. I've got my, my backbone and the ribs. And it's the structure of my body, but it's not what gives life. What gives me life is Jesus. And the only thing, the only way that your kids 
um, will grow and be discipled is just this gospel being proclaimed um, again and again and again and again and again um, so that they can grow. And the only one that is truly able to do a eternal, fruitful, and changing work is God. And it's only the love of God that will bring your kids to grow. It's only the love of God that will actually um, transform. Make, transform and make a change. There's nothing that you can do, I guess, in your own power. Um, my advice would just be pray for the Holy Spirit to move and just keep, um, what is the analogy, throwing the seeds and letting God water them. Just keep doing that again and again and again um, and allowing him to move and create the growth and just speaking truth and walking in truth. Um, that's my advice on that. But can y'all speak on, do you want to read it for yourself? Did you want to offer anything else to that? I think um, for the person and anyone who may be dealing with this, how do we discipline our kids? in light of the transformation that comes because of our encounter with Christ, because we surrender our lives to, to Him. Um, and by the way, I'll, I'll be the first one to say, I, don't, I struggle with this because I have three boys. And overall, society judges men far more harshly than they do women. And there's less grace available to men as they grow up than there is to women. And so I would say that we need to understand that we can parent out of a place of grace uh, and mercy because we have been given grace by God who had every right to smack us around, uh, really quite literally take our lives for defiling Him, His holiness. And yet He did not. He offered us redemption and forgiveness. There's an element of parenting that comes with that particular aura that we can... We can discipline our children, hold them to account, which is a healthy thing, which the Bible also uh, actually condones, saying, you know, you, 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 you discipline a child because you love the child. Uh, you don't discipline a child because they're not your child and you don't love them. And so discipline is important when raising a family, uh, boys or girls. And yet uh, we can learn from God who, even in the ministry of Jesus, the Son, uh, he extends grace and mercy, kindness, and the opportunity for redemption. Um, even after, you know, sin is what is entering into the fray. Uh, for example, uh, the way that Jesus deals with the tax collectors, the same way that he deals with the uh, teachers of the law. He exposes the issue, and it is up to the individual to respond to that, whether it's going to be with, we're going to accept forgiveness and be transformed by that and by the grace that comes with it. Or we're going to uh, say, uh, how dare you, we know better. And our children do the same way. Do Children do the same thing. There are children that, because of how they are, because they're, they're human, they're little sinners, and I know some people don't like to hear that, but they are sinners. There's going to be that element of rebellion and discipline comes to help, and yet, if we trust that the Holy Spirit is working in their lives and that He's using us to work in their lives as parents, that the Holy Spirit will allow that forgiveness and grace 
given in any one situation through parenting where they will see the light of the gospel and they will be transformed. Whereas there's also the unfortunate reality that there are some children, and I have one of them, who is very willful. And sometimes you have to be a little more stern with them, but always explaining to them that discipline is not a means for them to feel pain. You have to follow it with, and this is done because I love you, and I want to ensure that as you grow up, you reflect the heart and the character of Christ. That's, that, that's, that's what, I would, what I would add to what Sidney said. Brother Dan. Ding. Two thumbs up. Two th wow. Ten out of ten. Got it. Well, oh, that was two out of ten. Okay. Oh, okay. Yeah. Got it. But anyway, they were thumbs. So. <laughs> well, they count for four fingers each. Anyway, just kidding. So eight out of ten. Yeah, there you go. Passing grade. <laughs> well, technically seven would be like panzazo, like we say in Spanish. Anyway, next question. Okay. <clears throat> um... This is, how do we, this is a question I uh, had when I was listening to the sermon that um, I thought many, uh, anyways, how do we focus, um, or what do we focus on to avoid just growing in our mind alone and mm. not in our heart? Yeah, so Sydney's um, referring to the introduction to yesterday's message. Yeah. Um, so what do we focus on so we're not swelling in our heads and having shriveling or shrinking hearts in our chests. Um, I think we've got to begin by focusing on Christ, um, and we need to follow that with focusing on others and not focusing on ourselves. Um, the, the, the idea of growing in our heads and not, or, you know, our, our brains swelling um, and our hearts not is the, the idea that we might approach uh, the Bible like a like a reference book or a textbook um, that we're just going to seek to um, obtain information in our head, um, which is all well and good. And please don't hear me discouraging you from reading a Bible. It's not not what I would want to be heard as uh, advocating for right now. But it, it is to, to call into question your purpose or motive um, in, in approaching the scriptures. Um, so as to say that if your approach to the Bible is to become the, um, the, 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 the Bible quiz guru um, who's going to win at trivia nights, uh, on, you know, Christian trivia night or something, um, that's pretty self-serving, you know. Um, that's that's, that's uh, um, inflating self there. Um, but if you are approaching this, uh, the, this word that God has given to us that perfectly reveals his son, um, you would do so in a manner that would uh, open you up for the spirit to be at work in your life. Uh, you would do so by asking, what does this show me about the perfect sinless Savior who came to earth, who entered into history, who took on human form to bear the iniquity, uh, the sin of all humanity upon himself so that anyone who would come to him in faith can be redeemed. What does this tell me about him? And, is, and following that, if I'm actually submitting myself to him, what does this tell me about how I'm then supposed to live conforming to him um, and serving him so that I might reveal him 
to others. Um, it, so it, it, it's focusing on Christ and focusing on others. Um, there's the, I see a lot of people and I'm, I don't, I don't want to sound like I'm just, you know, this crotchety 39 year old man now that's just wanting to beat up on things. Um, but the, the, you know, that see these wristbands all the time that I am second. And I understand the, the point of that movement. I, I would just challenge that and, and ask, I think a better approach would, would be to say I am last, not, not I am second. I think that if you're looking to order things, you're, you're not second in, in a proper ordering of things. If you're, if you take me as an example, I'm, in my triage of, of orderings, I, I'm, I'm nowhere near second if I'm actually living faithfully uh, to the one who's saved me and redeemed me. Um, Christ is first. My wife is second. My children are third. Um, this church is fourth. Um, that may surprise people who hear that from a pastor. But church ain't, ain't first, second, or third on my list. Um, my, I, have, I have responsibilities, uh, God-given responsibilities that, um, that are of greater priority. Um, and you work down that list, and at the end you will find yourself, um, if there's even energy or time in the day, to, to focus on that. Um, so that it's, it's moving away from the self um, is really what this is. So, you know, thinking about yesterday, um, that, that then is the, the idea that our heart is being conformed to what our Lord loves and our hearts are being conformed to what His heart breaks over. We know that Scripture says that He desires that none would perish, that all would be saved. So then, at a minimum, we can look to an example of John the Baptist and be like, there's Jesus, point, point. You know, like, I'm just going to, don't look at me, look at him, turn to him. Um, because that's, that's at the root of God's heart, is to redeem what he's created, to, to reconcile what he's created to himself. Um, he's done all the work. And by the way, it wasn't easy. Um, Unless you consider the cross and, you know, the whole passion easy and then dying. Yeah. Yeah. Unless you just like skip that, um, but the the point the point is that if we understand those things, our heads swell if our relationship to Christ is one that serves self, because we approach Scripture to grow in information and knowledge, so that we can inflate ourselves because what we're going to do is play a game of comparison thereafter. Look how holy I am. I carry my Bible everywhere. I studied my Sunday school lesson before I got into the class. Um, I gave this week. Did you? Uh, all of those things that just become a way of reinforcing um, your claim before the Almighty that you're worthy of redemption at the end of the day. It's, it's, it's a works-based righteousness that we would say, no, I don't believe that. It's only by grace through faith. But in action, it we're looks, saying yeah. it looks a whole lot like you're trying to earn something. Mm. Um, or a life that is one that is lived as a true recipient of forgiveness and grace is one that would serve others in the likeness of the one who did not come to be served, but to serve
Amen. That makes sense. That makes sense. Clear as mud. Cool. I guess I. You say clear as mud? Yeah. That doesn't make sense. I know. There's probably someone out there. There's probably someone out there right now saying, "Well, why couldn't you have said it that briefly yesterday? Why did you make me suffer through that long thing?" Anyway, sorry. And for that, you need to just send me an email, Carlos at fbcdivine.org, and I'll I'll give you an answer for as to why we do that. Um, Any closing thoughts? I don't have thoughts. Oh wow! I'm not even going to go there, Sydney. I don't have thoughts. I am Iron Man. So I think we need to change the title from Disciple Life to Thoughtless. Anyway, just kidding. Uh, So we want to encourage you. We want to thank those who submitted those two questions. Uh, Please submit them uh, on the comments below. Uh, If you are listening on an uh, an audio-only platform, please send us a comment. We'd love to engage with you. Uh, If you are watching, uh, please know that we love you. If you're listening, we love you as well. Uh, We hope that if you're listening, that this is edifying to you. Until next time, I am Carlos, this is Pastor Dan, and our sister Sydney. This is Disciple Life, the Bible in everyday life. We'll see you next week. Thank you for listening to Disciple Life, the Bible in everyday life, with Pastors Carlos Garduño and Dan Newberg. We encourage you to send any questions for the podcast to info at fbcdivine.org or by commenting on the audio platform of your choice. We look forward to engaging with your questions during future episodes.